This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Hey, Elena, do you have a bank account that helps you automatically save? No, I don't. Why do you ask? Well, in fintech, we talk a lot about personalized experiences and what that will mean for banking. And I want to get your opinion about that experience. I definitely have rather strong opinions about personalized experiences and not only in banking. But let's start with kicking off the show first. Welcome to The Money Pod, our podcast at Money 2020. I'm Elena Misropian, Accountant Leader for Money 2020 Europe, and I'm here with Sanjeev Kalita, our Editor-in-Chief. So, Sanjeev, what has inspired you to ask about personalized experiences? Well, in an episode in February, we spoke to Aryan Shoot. He's a VC focused on fintech, and he said that in the PFM, or the personal financial management market, they were really looking at ways to invest in financial health initiatives for the middle class. And now that we're in the middle of an economic crisis brought about by the pandemic, the financial health of the middle class is in serious trouble. Some are even calling it the double economy. Many have lost their jobs and are going broke. Those of us lucky enough to be working are working extra hours. And that doesn't even get to the issue for essential workers. In many ways, COVID didn't really create problems. It has been an accelerant that has made all of the cracks more obvious. It has made me think more about that conversation. So to get more about this, we recently spoke to an expert. Hi, this is Jody Bugget. I'm the president of Americas at Personetics. We are a uh, global leading firm in the area of data-driven personalization for customer engagement. Jody and the Personetics team are promoting what they call purpose-driven banking. Interesting. How is he defining purpose-driven banking? What makes banking purpose-driven as opposed to what banks have always done? So they think a purpose-driven institution implies that the bank's primary objective is to improve a customer's financial well-being. This sounds like an argument that banks should be more responsible for the financial health and decisions of their customers. Is that right? In a way, it is. We believe, though, the industry is ready to take bold action in helping customers become more financially resilient and deliver personalized advice at scale. So this this new approach challenges the status quo in, in two ways. One, personalized advice should be delivered to all customers, not simply the most profitable ones. The advancements in analytical tools and AI models and data management are the enablers to make this happen efficiently at scale. Secondly, instead of simply offering products, banks can have a more vested stake in their customers becoming more resilient. So this includes two things. One is introducing a set of wellness or resilience KPIs as part of a bank scorecard that measures the progress in this dimension and also introducing personalized wellness programs that address each of the three facets of resilience. And more than simply making them available, banks should encourage adoption and reward customers who engage and make progress along the dimension of resiliency. Okay, first, why does he think that the financial services industry is ready to do this? And secondly, how is he defining resilience? So let's talk about that second question first. Let's define financial resilience as the ability to withstand and recover from temporary financial hardship or uncertainty. And this is uh, accentuated by the environment that we're in today. In banking terms, 
it requires that customers are armed with three fundamental tools. One is the emergency savings to cover uh, a certain amount of monthly expenses. Second is the ability to control spending and adapt to the new reality of the financial situation. And third, the capacity to borrow. And the first step in the capacity to borrow is the ability to pay down high interest debt. If customers are armed with all three of these tools, they can much better withstand hardship and recover more rapidly. So while seemingly relatively simple, it, uh, it, is, a, it is a significant opportunity for the banking industry to help customers and arm customers with these, with these capabilities so they are more financially resilient. All right. So the financial resilience he's talking about isn't only about having six months worth of expenses saved for difficult times, although that seems to be a part of it. When he's talking about the ability to recover, he's talking about having a record with your financial institution that proves your credit worthiness. Right. And banks that help their customers become financially resilient take them on the journey that increases each of these steps. Ideally, it starts by helping people to be more aware of their spending habits and to become savers. But it also helps customers who are savers become investors that build wealth. And it helps them to understand how to qualify for credit and use their credit to be considered a good risk. So he's relying on AI and data management to help create personalized recommendations for all bank customers, right? And is he recommending a gamification piece to help achieve this? Sure. Without the AI piece, banks could never afford to extend personalized advice to every customer. Traditionally, personalized advice is expensive to create. AI and data management help unlock the tools to make personalized recommendations widely available. So what are some examples of the advice that AI will create? Jody gave an example for each category, saving, building credit, and controlling spending. So to look at each of these three facets of, of resilience, one is building emergency savings through an automated savings capability. That solution uses AI algorithms to determine how much a customer can save at any given point in time and moves the amount into a savings account on an automated basis. RBC in Canada and Ally Bank in the US, they, they both launch versions of this. The second one is the capacity to borrow. So in this case, the AI algorithms which are the similar in terms of it's based on the concept of identifying what is the capacity to set aside money, but it's directed over the course of a month, directing it to a high interest debt, such as a revolving card balance or an unsecured line. And it's more conservative in nature because it's not going to a savings account. It's going to a paying down debt but it's acting on behalf of customers to pay down that high interest debt and thus thereby creating more borrowing capacity. And then the third is managing or controlling spending. And while some of these, some of these variants of these programs have been around for, for years, they've, they've really achieved very low adoption. But by using AI algorithms to identify who would most benefit from setting up a budget based on their historical transaction activity and then proactively reaching out to customers and asking if they would like to set up and track a budget around a specific spend category and advising them this is what the target should look like. 
then tracking progress, acknowledging good behavior, recommending actions when they fall off track, and even potentially rewarding customers as they're, as they're progressing. That is what has allowed uh, some of the more progressive banks to achieve rather dramatic gains in terms of adoption and usage around helping customers manage spending. So if a bank adopts this, their customers should be able to better withstand financial surprises. And done the right way, it works. Okay, but do people really want their bank to tell them not to buy something they want? Sometimes their recommendation can seem both ridiculous and creepy. For example, some financial advisors have blamed getting a daily coffee for people being strapped. But there have been numerous articles debunking that. Also, if I'm in a coffee shop, I don't want my app to make me feel guilty for buying a flat white. You aren't alone. I also spoke with Dan Van Dyke from Business Insider, and they did a survey and asked consumers if they were comfortable with a bank using their GPS location to give advice. The answer was overwhelmingly no. But that might change if customers saw their banks only use the information to help them. Maybe. In March and April, Google was using GPS information to do contact tracing on the coronavirus. But even they hit an uproar about privacy and had to restrict their data collection. This brings me back to my first question. Why does Jody think that the financial services industry is ready to do this? Well, first, he believes it's just good for business. If you build up your customer, you build up yourself. If you support the premise of customers that are more financially resilient, um, create a stronger customer franchise, and uh, profits flow to the bank because of the strength of relationship as well as the, the benefits around new account openings, balance building, um, capacity to borrow, then the ability for the bank to reward that behavior is not only, is not only trust building and uh, loyalty building with customers, but it's actually incenting behavior which will eventually lead to great de- greater depth of relationship and greater profitability for the banks. So when we talk about having a vested stake, that vested stake means having these innovative solutions, promoting them, and encouraging uses usage through the act of gamification and rewarding behavior. And we know that, uh, that customers respond well to nudging. They respond well to encouraging uh, behavior and they like to see progress or inspired by progress. And so there is a real opportunity there in terms of um, not just a, 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 a tool that looks like a, any other product, but a solution and an experience where you're actively reaching out, proactively reaching out, providing evidence as to why this benefits, helping customers ease the friction of saying yes and getting started, and then, and then uh, rewarding, acknowledging progress and actually rewarding progress as well. We believe all of that is part of this, this bolder step that, uh, that banks can take to encourage um, resilience, greater resilience. And as you would expect from someone in data, he has studies that back this up. A recent study by Accenture has shown that trust-based propositions in banking can generate 9% revenue uplift for traditional banks. Presumably, this also leads to customer retention and acquisition. But there is a piece missing here. 
In the European Union, we have regulations that are encouraging open banking. But the U.S. is behind on this. And without open banking, how would a bank get a clear picture of a person's financial resilience? Most people don't have a credit card with only one bank. They have accounts in different banks. So unless a customer opts in and makes sure to give permission to see every account, then a bank isn't in a position to be proactive about helping their customers spending, saving, and investing. I agree. Open banking in the U.S. is the missing piece. And when we spoke to Jody about that, he agreed. Whether through regulation or driven through the industry, through innovation, open banking will permeate the U.S. banking industry and North American banking. And by doing so, it will bring more choice to customers on where they get their banking services and who has access to their data. So we know traditionally many banks have talked about the core to driving profitability is through relationship depth with customers. And the open banking phenomena, it'll put a premium on the ability to leverage customer data as well as bring in third-party solutions that can extend bank solutions and deliver highly personalized solutions that customers value. So those that, that can do this are much more likely to win the greater share of a customer relationship and the profit pool. And conversely, those that, that don't embrace um, the changes that are brought about, that we brought about by open banking and introduce some of these capabilities that really leverage a strong understanding of your customers' cash flows and their needs, they'll be squeezed by declining customer profitability and fewer multi-product relationships. I think he's right. Open banking will be the future in the U.S. And if that does happen, then banks will be looking for value differentiators to attract and retain customers. It will be more important than ever. Jody thinks that the basics we've outlined will be table stakes by the end of 2022. If that happens, then it will be interesting what banks will create to keep increasing the value proposition. So then the challenge is, how do you now innovate beyond? How do you create even more personalized experiences, create insights, advice, and, and wellness programs that are more tailored to your customers, to your offerings, and that you can promote in the market, perhaps even through a, through a, a new branded experience that distinguishes your, the, the bank's ability to have an impact with customers and win customers and deepen relationships. We see this as a very exciting future one which is raising the game of the entire industry, uh, allowing all banks to compete effectively by offering these capabilities. And for those banks that are savvy enough to use them to continue to differentiate themselves, they will be the benefactor of winning more share of customers and deeper relationships. If he's right and open banking does become the global standard, then it could really change the game. But I wonder about his timeline. If financial health was a prime goal for the industry, then why don't we see a chief financial health officer up there with a CEO, COO, CTO, and CMO in every single bank? That's a great question that I've been asking, actually. We know that this industry has discussed this issue a lot, but I wonder about the actual commitment levels from the various institutions. I guess if anything does get them to commit, 
it will be understanding this as a smart business strategy. Maybe if they see it as a way to decrease the stresses that the pandemic has put on business, they will do it. Jody is betting that they will. It is a critical societal issue. And I think we should, you know, we should use this, this challenging period as a, as a catalyst, really as a catalyst to build and promote personalized programs that help customers and society become more resilient. It was, uh, it was Winston Churchill who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And it's, it's true now more than ever. I like that line, never let a good crisis go to waste. It looks like banks are going to be central to recovery and building resilient customers and communities could help. And being part of the recovery is the part of purpose-driven banking that makes the most sense to me at this time. That brings us to the end of another episode of The Money Pod. We want to thank our guest, Jody Bagat, president of the Americas at Personetics, for talking to us. We also want to thank our producers, Roland Bottenham and Rachel Morrissey, and we'd love to hear your pitches for the show. Please write to us at podcast at money2020.com. Thank you for listening. This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.